If you have a copy of the Word of God, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And uh, we looked at verses 1 through 6 last week where David and his men discovered that uh, their wives and children had uh, been taken captive and the city, the town of Ziklag where they had been living was destroyed. And we pick up in verse 7. Uh, then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered them, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the six hundred men who were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where they stayed, uh, those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary they could not cross the brook Bezor. Then they found an Egyptian in the field, and brought him to David. And they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake and of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him. For he had eaten no bread nor drunk any water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I'm a young man from Egypt, a servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. So when he had brought him down, there they were, spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds which they had driven before those other livestock and said, This is David's spoil. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Bezor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. But David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hands the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part who goes down to the battle, so shall shall his part be who stays by the supplies, they shall share alike. And so it was from that day forward he made it a statute and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Now when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, Here is a present 
for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To those who are in Bethel, to those who are in Ramoth in the south, those who are in Jatir, those who are in Eror, those who are in Sifmoth, those who are in Eshtemoa, those who are in uh, Rachel, those who are in the cities of the uh, Jeremiahites, those who are in the cities of the Kenites, those who are in Hormah, those who are in Koroshan, those who are in Atak, those who are in Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to row. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, uh, that we have your word. And may it now become a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. Teach us, speak to us, Lord, and may we, may we understand what we hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are times in our lives when things go very badly for us. But we know that God also uses those afflictions to get our attention to turn us back to himself. So I would ask you today at the outset of this message, has God gotten your attention lately? Well, God got David's attention. He put him through a number of trials. And David had not it seems, been close to the Lord. And in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, it says that David was greatly distressed. You've been distressed lately. And why was he distressed? Well, because all his men were talking about stoning him. That would be a good reason to be a little distressed. And, and at, the, at the end of verse 6, we read that David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David realized that he could not continue on in his own strength, and he needed the Lord again. Remember, the Amalekites had attacked Ziklag, burned it to the ground, taken all the women and children. And so God, through this great trial, is is putting David to the test, and David responds and seeks the Lord's strength. And that's what you and I should do. Uh, whenever we face anything that's distressing, that's troubling, that uh, is difficult. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You see, David found God's strength. When all was against him, uh, he knew that it was by the power of God and that alone that he would be able to overcome the things he faced. And so, you know, the thing about trials is that God uses them in our lives, first of all, to make us realize our own weakness, but then secondly, to be able to appropriate uh, his strength and to discover that by his strength, we can do all things. It's interesting, later in 2 Samuel uh, 22, after a victory that God had given uh, to David, David uttered these words. He says, for by you, I can run against a troop. By my God, I can leap over a wall. Uh, This is is David relying on the strength and power of God. This is what uh, all God's people need to do. Whether uh, we are facing insurmountable odds, we are facing discouraging uh, circumstances, we need to realize our own strength is never enough. And so turn to the Lord. Strengthen yourself in God. That's what David did. But that's not all he did. And the rest of the story is written uh, in chapter 30, 
because there were other tests that would come his way and uh, having strengthened himself in the Lord, we find out the other ways in which he responded uh, to these difficult situations that he found himself in. And so we're going to look at six things, going through uh, each one briefly, but six ways in which David was tested and, and ways in which he responded to those tests. And the first one is we see David's response to his need for guidance. He found strength in the Lord. He was renewed. He was refreshed. But how did he respond? He still had the dilemma of his the wives and children, as well as all the goods having been taken. So what did God? What did David do? He responded by seeking guidance from God's word. Uh, he called for the for the priest and requested that he bring the ephod with him. The ephod contained the urim and the thummim, uh, which were the means by which uh, God would speak to them. But remember, the Abiathar was the only priest that survived uh, when Saul slew all the priests at Nob, and he had escaped with the ephod. And so that uh, he went to David eventually, and he was on hand, and David now calls on him. And, and David is, is taking his lead from what had been written down earlier in Numbers chapter 27. Uh, Moses gave these instructions to Joshua, who was to lead the people into the land, to take over the promised land. And it says this in Numbers 27, he shall, that is uh, the, the, the leader, Joshua. And of course, that would apply to all future leaders of Israel. He shall stand before the priest who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim. At his word they shall go out, and at his word they shall come in. He and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So David had returned to the Lord. He had sought his strength, and now he turns to the Lord for guidance. What next? What do I do now? You know, when David was earlier with his men living among the Philistines, the enemies of God, um, we don't read anywhere that David sought guidance for, to go down there. Uh, it does seem that he should not have done that. Um, but here he is seeking the Lord's direction. He's heeding the principle that we find written down by his son Solomon later, uh, after the fact, in Proverbs, to trust in the Lord. To lean not on your own understanding, but to acknowledge God in all your ways so that he might direct your path. So David faces this great unknown. Ziklag's burned with fire. The, the, the wives, the children had been taken. They're not even sure probably who took them at this point. They have no idea where they are, where they might be, or in what condition he might, they might find them, even if they do. So what would David do? What should he do? Uh, interesting, as we look back recently, we saw that Saul, who was trying to kill David, he looks for direction from where? From a witch, from a sorceress. And that was the last step in his downfall. But David inquired of the Lord. And what did it lead to? A great victory. God answered him through the priest, through the ephod, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. And so the Amalekites... Uh, they, they vastly outnumbered the 600-man army uh, of David. And on a human level, it might have looked like a suicide mission to David and his men. 
But what did David do? He trusted in the Lord. He trusted in the word of God. Not his own understanding. Verse 9. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bezor. So David obeyed the word of the Lord. He sought the Lord's guidance and he obeys what God told him to do. And, and that was, you see, the proof that he really was trusting in the Lord. We learn from this that it's obedience to the revealed will of God that proves whether or not you and I are right with God and whether we're trusting in God. Secondly, in our passage, we see David's response to the weak and to the weary of his men. When the men arrived at the brook Bezor, 200 of them were too exhausted. They had marched for three days, uh, 60 miles or more, and, uh, and they had, of course, wept and wept until they could weep no more. And how does David respond to, to this weakness among his men? Well, he, he treats them with compassion. He allows them to stay behind so that they can recover and rest. He doesn't upbraid them for their weakness. He doesn't rebuke them. He's not harsh with them. Again, by way of contrast, think back to Saul. Think back to 1 Samuel 14. Uh, when they were fighting against the Philistines, it says the Israelites were hard-pressed. And what does Saul do? Uh, he, he doesn't give them any relief. He forbids them from eating, by which they might have renewed them, themselves you know, and regained their strength. And then, of course, we find that Jonathan didn't hear the command and he finds some honey and eats it and is brightened. And then he's uh, almost put to death by his own father for that. So Saul treated his men harshly, but David shows compassion uh, to, to his men. He allows them to rest and to, to, they didn't all have to go into battle. And that de- brings up a question for us. How do we treat uh, those who are weak? And weary uh, in the church. First Thessalonians 5.14 gives us some instruction. It says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the fainthearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. In, in other words, help those who are weak. Don't, don't condemn them. Don't put them down. Don't upbraid them. Uh, but help them. Lift them up. You know, sometimes we can lose patience with others who are weaker in faith, perhaps, than we are. Why don't you just trust God? Why don't you just get up, uh, you know, pull yourself up? Uh, You know, sometimes people are not able to do that, and they need our help. So, uh, Scripture urges us to support them, to comfort them, uh, to uphold them. The weak and the weary, Jesus, of course, was very patient and very tender uh, with with the weak and the weary. He encouraged them, doesn't he? And he encourages all of us because, you know, all of us at some time are, will find ourselves weak and weary. And he says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who are weak, who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So Jesus remembers our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. He has compassion on those who are weak. And so in the church, we need to discern the difference between rebellion and weakness. Uh, weakness is not necessarily rebellion. And, and we do need to re- warn those who are stubborn, stiff-necked, and rebellious. 
but we need to uphold and help the weak. And that's what Christ does with us. That's what David did with his men. Uh, third thing that we see as far as David's response in here is we see him responding to the providence of God. In God's providence, verse 11 says, Then they found an Egyptian in the field. And really, this is the key to, to everything. Uh, this, they just happened upon this man in a field, and they brought him to David. Uh, they gave him food. They didn't know anything about him. He could be, evidently was too weak to even speak. And gave him water. And when he revived, David inquired of the man, and the man told him he was a servant of an Amalekite who had abandoned him because he was sick. And uh, David said, uh, can you take me down to this troop? And he made David swear not to kill him or take him back to his master. And, and David did. And he would take them to where the troops were and to where their wives and children were. What an amazing provision of the Lord. It just so happened that this man was just sitting out in the field. And that just so happened that they came upon him. Well, of course, this was guided by the very hand and purpose of God. You know, David and his men could have wandered around for months without finding uh, the location of the troops, uh, the Amalekites, or uh, their families. So God had promised David, though, hadn't he, through the word of the Lord, by the priest, promised that he would overtake and recapture all that was lost. You see, and so God, what God promises to do, he is going to provide a way to be done. And so we see in his sovereign will, his sovereign working, uh, that he brought about, first of all, he brought about the sickness in this Egyptian man. And secondly, he ordained that, the, that his Amalekite master would uh, be cruel and leave him, uh, you know, because he was a burden. And, and third, he directs uh, David's men to, to find this man. And so you see God's providence uh, it's always at work. Uh, we know this from Romans 8:28. Always, you know, working um, to um, to bring good out of evil, and uh, to to work all things together for our good. And so, uh, His providence and His sovereign will is not only worked out on behalf of King David. He's not king yet, but it's at work in your life. And my life, if we have eyes to see it. So when things happen, when anything happens in your life and my life, we can be certain that it's been brought about by the Lord because he foreordains everything whatsoever comes to pass. And so we, we should be encouraged that, that there's no accident. Uh, there's nothing that happens by chance in your life. And... Uh, he has an all-wise plan for everything that happens. You see, again, finding this Egyptian was, was critical, and, and it seemed like such a little thing. But it's the little providences in your life and my life that can make the difference. Open your eyes to, to see the hand of God at work in your life. Uh, next in the passage, we see a David responding to the Amalekites once they find them. They find them and they're feasting. They're whooping it up. And uh, David, greatly outnumbered, he trusts in the word of God that you will overtake them and you'll recover everything. And he attacks the Amalekites. 
He puts his faith into action. Verse 17, David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except the 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. Remember, David's army was only 400 men. And so uh, 400 of the Amalekites escaped. There must have been thousands of them, and they were all slain by David and his men. How often we find in Scripture that, that God saves and delivers his people in spite of overwhelming odds against them. Why do you think God does that? Right? To show that it's not our power, it's not our strength, it's not our wisdom. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, the, the mighty man boast in his strength. But let him boast in this, that he understands and knows me and trusts in me. And that's what David was doing uh, in this situation. Uh, this is the principle that Jonathan mentioned in 1 Samuel 14.6. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. We need to, we need to take that principle to heart today in, in the church because it seems that the church is far outnumbered today by the ungodly. And the church as an institution uh, seems to have little influence to, in today's culture. Today's culture is dominated by the ungodly, the unbelieving, whether it's through the media, through uh, academia, uh, or, th- or in the government. And there's a lot of antagonism toward the church. The odds seem to be against the church, against uh, the gospel. And that might cause us to lose hope, to give up the fight. But we would be absolutely wrong. Uh, to think that way. Those who have God with them are always on the winning side. If God is with you, you're always on the winning side. So fight the good fight of faith. Stand firm. Take up the armor of God. Fight against evil in your day. And you say, well, you know, what can I do? You do what you can. That's what you can do. Do what you can in the name of Jesus Christ and in dependence on His strength. And remember, God has given you the weapons, the weapons uh, to defeat evil. He's given us in Ephesians 6 uh, a list of those. Um, But the greatest weapons are the sword of the Spirit and prayer in the Spirit. Of course, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Prayer in the Spirit, depending on uh, His Spirit as we pray. And so we need to keep using those weapons. We need to keep... Uh, trusting that God will give us victory through weapons that the world may laugh at, but the world cannot ultimately um, resist. Uh, I believe we're in a battle for the soul of our nation. And we're certainly in a battle for the souls of individuals who will spend either uh, eternity in either heaven or hell. Your prayers and the word of God that you may Share with others. You see, these are the weapons that tear down the strongholds of the enemy. Our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty in God to tear down these strongholds. So David saw the enemy. He remembered the promise, and he went on the attack. He took the offensive. He didn't wait for the battle to come to him. He went to and, 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 and started the battle, uh, or finished it, we might say. And, and I think that tells us something about the church, you know, that, that we are to do the same. We are to take the offensive. We're not just to, to be on the defense. 
Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell, we are to be on the attack and they will not be able to resist as we do. That's the, that's the picture, I believe, we're to take away from what Jesus said. So the outcome of his attack, he recovered everything that he lost. The promise uh, was fulfilled. You know, nothing that we do in the name of Jesus Christ, nothing that we might give up for his sake will ever be lost. Did you know that? In fact, it will be returned either in this life or in eternity with interest. Because Jesus said, uh, you know, those who, who sow sometimes will reap uh, 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. Uh, you cannot lose when you give something up for the kingdom of God and his church. Fifthly, in our passage, we see this, a David's response to the selfish and wicked men in his midst. You know, it's, it's sad but true that in every church and every group of Christians, there are some bad apples. There are those who aren't regenerated by God's grace. And that was true with David and these men uh, that, that served him. Probably most of them were good, but there were a few that were not. And so they, they came back with the women, the children, the spoil. I'm sure everybody was pretty happy. Uh, at least on, on the out. And then they come uh, near the people, and David greets them. He's, he, he is um, very positive, it, it would appear. And as soon as he did, some wicked and worthless men spoke up and said, Now, they don't deserve anything. Yeah, give them back their children, give them back their wives, but that's all they get. They didn't go out and fight with us. And how did David react to this? Well, uh, first of all, he reminded them, that it was by the grace of God, the work of God, that they had this victory. It wasn't their own doing. And so when God does something for us, that ought to make us respond uh, not only to him with praise, but respond to others with grace and kindness and goodness. Um, so it was wrong of these men uh, to be so selfish with the plunder and not give it to those who had been too exhausted to fight. And David said in verse 24, As his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall be alike. And he said this is going to be a statute and ordinance from now on. Uh, it, it was an, an equitable thing. It was a precedent. Uh, there was precedent for it in Israel's history. And it set an even more a stronger precedent for the future. But... It was a gracious act. It was a mirror of the grace of God who had given them this great victory. And so the principle here is for us that when God blesses us, he does so because he loves us and he's generous. But he does so so that we might be generous and that we might be a blessing to others. You're not just a receptacle. Uh, you are a conduit. You are to be a conduit for the grace and love of God. If God has shown you any goodness this day, this week, or in your life, then you need to be uh, one who passes it on to others. And in Genesis 12, two, God said to Abram, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. God wants to use you and to make you a blessing to others. 
Now finally in our passage we see uh, the, the last response is to the excess plunder that was taken in battle. Not only did David uh, take back his wives and the children and the things that had been stolen from him, but there was more things that the Amalekites had taken in their raids. There was excess of plunder. And I think the text says something like, this is David's spoil. They said, this, this belongs to David. You know, he deserves to have this. We'll get all that's come, that, that, that comes back to us, and David will have this spoil. But David was generous even with this. Um, David would become a king. He's becoming prepared, you see, for the throne. And he would become a king who was characterized by giving rather than taking in verse 26, it says, When David came to Ziklag, and he sent, some of the spoil, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, Here's a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. Now, some would say, well, this is just a pure political move on David's part to, to, gain, to buy support, to buy votes, if you will. Uh, but that's not what he's doing. You see, in verse 14, the Egyptian mentioned the other raids that the Amalekites had gone on. And part of those raids had been in Judah, you know, taken from God's people in Judah. And so David was returning to them some of the things that they had lost. And he was, he was aware of their needs. And, uh, of course, it would build goodwill for him in the future. But that's not really why he did it. He did it because it was his nature, becoming his nature to be a giver to be generous like the Lord had been to him. Now, the prophet Samuel had warned about people seeking a king like the nations. Because he said, such a king that you want for yourselves, and they got and saw, is going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take, and he's not going to give you much in return. If you want that kind of king, just know, Samuel said, what you're going to get into. And so David was not going to be like that. He took... Great spoil, and no one would have denied it. They said, this is David's spoil. He deserves it. He should have it. It belongs to him since he had the courage to lead, and he fought for it. But here's a test. Would he keep that spoil and enrich himself, or would he divide it among his kinsmen and help them recover their losses? You see, uh, the answer is, is in, you know, instead of enriching himself, like most politicians today like to do, uh, he gave gifts to his countrymen. So um, 1 Samuel 30, it's a pivotal chapter. Not only does David strengthen himself he, uh, in the Lord, but he also is being further prepared to take the throne. And, and so his words, his deeds, his responses, after that strengthening of himself in the Lord, uh, demonstrate his readiness to rule over the people of God. And we ask, you know, why did it take so long for God, after David had been anointed and then he's on the run for months and years uh, from Saul and he's living, uh, you know, just on the run. And, you know, why does it take so long for God to bring David to the throne? Well, because God, because God had to prepare him for that throne. Uh Moses was in the wilderness 40 years, and, and he had to wait until he was 80 before he was ready to lead the people out of Egypt. And so David was being prepared uh, to be king, and it takes time. At the end of his life, David spoke 
of this issue of, of who, what kind of king will come after me? Who should be king after me? And in 2 Samuel 23.3, this is the end of David's life. He says, the God of Israel has said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And that's what David was learning to do. He became such a king. He did rule in the fear of God. He was the greatest king that Israel ever had. But, you know, there were many times, and we know, here's a good chapter. But there are other chapters when David doesn't do uh, everything he should. He doesn't live up to that standard. There were times that he brought disgrace uh, to himself and to his office. And though David was a man after God's own heart and a great king, he was a fallen man. He was only a faint picture of the real king that was coming. The king that came, yes, from his own line. He would be descendant of David. But this king would also be, according uh, to the power of God and the resurrection from the dead, declared to be the Son of God with power. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. He never failed. He always did the will of the Father. He always sought the Father's direction. He always obeyed his every command without sin. You know, at times David sought the Lord's help, but Jesus always sought the Father's help. David defeated the Amalekites, and he had many other great victories. But Christ defeated the great enemies of of our souls. Uh, Sin and hell and death and the devil and all the forces of darkness. Gracious, David was gracious to the needy. Christ is gracious to all those who need his, his help and his grace. Well, David was a great king. Uh, but he was just a faint picture of the greater king, the greatest king of all, Jesus Christ. He's our king. He's our God. With such a king, we can do all things. With such a king, we can follow him. Even if it means that we have to die for him, we will never lose for him. We will be victorious because he never loses. He's the ultimate winner. The ultimate victor. And uh, I pray that you will be on his side. And that you will be enlisted in his army. And if you're not, today, let today be the day that you submit and bow your knee to him. Let's pray.